Hey guys, welcome to the Built Lean podcast. I'm Mark Perry, the creator of Built Lean, and today I have Noah Church with me. And so Noah has openly discussed his challenges with porn since age nine and how he overcame a porn addiction and porn-induced erectile dysfunction. And he has since written a book called Whack, which is a great title, by the way, and uh, you know about porn and masturbation, offers solutions to a challenging societal issue that affects everyone. And we're going to talk more about that today. And he also has a website dedicated to helping uh, people learn more about this and offers coaching as well. We'll chat about uh, that more at the end, if that's cool with you. And so, um, you know, first off, before diving in, I just want to thank you, Noah, for being so open and honest about this whole challenge you faced. And I think it's, I think it's awesome, man. It really is. And you're helping a lot of people out. So, so thank you for that, man. Well, thanks right back at you for tackling this topic in your podcast. And just to clarify, I've not been openly discussing it since age nine. No, of course, no. With porn since nine. No, no, no. And of course, openly of course. discussing it since my mid twenties. Yeah. Right. No. No. And, and I apologize that that wasn't wasn't clear for everyone. But <laughs> basically, it was yeah, it was in your mid twenties, and that's when you read the, you wrote the book. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Right. Right. Now, which 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 I've read, and so um, let's. Kind of for people listening, let's let's just dive in to like the uh, I think like paint a picture of what it, what this situation really looks like, what this challenge looks like. And so, first off, is you know what percentage of men watch porn, like how frequently? Well, that's a good question, and depending on the source that you look at, you can get some different numbers. Uh, the numbers that mean most to me are the ones that look at young people especially because mm. I think that the younger generations, the ones growing up with unlimited access to internet and internet pornography are the ones who are going to be most affected. And so what we know is that the average age of first exposure to porn for boys is anywhere between 11 and 13 years old. And that's average, of course. For me, it was nine years old, and that was back in the 90s. And there was much less access than there is now. And another study showed that 87% of male college students and 31% of female college students were regular users using at least once per month. And that was from 2008. And Canadian studies showed that, you know, 13 and 14 year old boys, one third of them were already heavy porn users, meaning they'd used more times than they could count. And in Italy, they, at a high school, they did a study and found that boys and girls, 78% of them consumed porn regularly. 22% uh, of their students in that high school described their porn use as habitual, and another 9% of the total student body described it as a kind of addiction. So that's nearly one in 10 high school students who already think that they might be addicted to porn. That's wild. And so just, just to recap, like how many, what percentage of men do you think, it, or again, there are many different statistics. In the US, I've seen maybe it's, 80% or 70% kind of regularly use it as in at least once a month? That sounds reasonable to me, yeah. Okay, okay. And so what percentage of men do you think are actually addicted who watch it? Well, addiction is the terminology that I right. use, but addiction, the crux of it, what it means is the loss of control, right? You've realized that something that you're doing, whether it's drinking or gambling or using porn, is damaging for you or for your relationships and you've decided to either reduce your use or stop it entirely. And where we can see addiction is when you've made that commitment to yourself but then you continually are breaking those promises, generally over a period of six months or more. And addiction is about that loss of control. And it's really impossible to identify addiction with people who have not yet tried to stop. So there could be a lot of people out there who are using porn regularly think it's perfectly fine for them, maybe not aware of the negative impacts it's having on their lives. But if and when they do decide, hey, I think I'm going to give this a rest for a while or quit it altogether, then they might discover that they're addicted. So it's very difficult to pin down those numbers. Uh, but yeah, among the people that I work with, I'd say, and you know, I'm a, I'm a coach yeah. who works with people with problematic porn use issues. And I would say that about 60% of the people I work with are addicted. And the rest have other porn-induced problems, most likely porn-induced sexual dysfunction, which I'm sure we're going to talk more about today. Okay. And a lot of times these things overlap, but a lot of times they're separate as well. You know, some guys have no problem having sex, but porn is causing other problems in their lives, and they have a real difficulty controlling their use. Whereas other guys, 
they realize that I can't have sex anymore. I'm so conditioned to a computer screen that a real partner who's attracted and attracted to me and in my bed like doesn't do it for me anymore. But once they realize that porn use is the source of that problem, they can quit and they can leave it behind forever. Cool. So actually, let, let's start talking about some of the effects of porn. And so I, you know, I've kind of watched the Gary Wilson video and, and that sort of thing. And can you talk more about some of the effects that porn is having? And, and here's an interesting thing. I think for people listening, this isn't just for like guys who are addicted to porn and are watching it like you know two, right. three hours a day. This is even if you watch it once a week, it can still have a significant impact. And so I wanted to hear your thoughts on kind of like what are the effects of watching porn? Well. I'm going to bring this to my personal story just because okay. I experienced probably most of the <laughs> negative effects okay. of porn use personally. And uh, yeah, I like grew up in the 90s and the aughts. You know, so I was among that first generation to grow up with internet access. And I had always been a horny child and it didn't take long. You know, I was nine years old when I had that bright idea of maybe I can search for some attractive pictures of women online. And that, of course, opened up Pandora's box and right. I found way more than I ever expected. And by the time I was 12, I was consuming content that was you know, extreme and deviant. Uh, when you're on the internet searching for porn, as I'm sure many people in your audience know, you don't just find exactly what you're looking for. You see much more than you ever imagined might have been possible. And you're always bombarded with a slew of novel images and novel genres, anything to keep you clicking and exploring. And what many people find is that over time, using pornography regularly, they become desensitized to what initially aroused them. And that certainly happened to me. And to deal with that rising tolerance, we call it, they, a lot of them, and myself included, escalate in terms of the content that they're seeking out, looking for something more novel, more shocking, uh, more stimulating. And so that happened to me, and I you know, escalated through all these genres that made me feel very much conflicted with myself displaying things that I, I didn't really agree with morally, but then I was relying on just to feel that, that high, that sensation of arousal. And I didn't really realize it was a problem, well, until my mid-20s, but when it really became a salient issue in my life was when I was 18, and I had my first long-term relationship, mm -hmm. and we thought we were in love with each other, we wanted to have sex with each other for the first time for both of us, and it was something I'd been looking forward to my whole life. And my body just didn't really respond in the way that it should. And I didn't understand what was going on. Uh, we tried you know, many times, and I just couldn't hold, a hold an erection long enough to have sex and to enjoy that experience. And it was very confusing for me because I knew I could get an erection. I did it all the time with pornography. So at that time, 2008, there wasn't really any information out there about what we now call porn-induced sexual dysfunctions. Uh, so I just thought it was all in my head. I thought, you know, there's something wrong with me psychologically. Maybe maybe we're just not the right match. So I broke up with her and repeated that cycle many times over the next six years with different women. Uh, it was very, very painful. So porn-induced sexual dysfunction is when it gets to that point where you're so desensitized and so conditioned to respond to a screen rather than to the touch of a partner or, you know, the scent of her hair or just that emotional interplay between you that real sex, real intimacy feels alien and doesn't cue your body to respond with arousal. And so that's what happened to me. Uh, it also definitely affected how I viewed women and viewed relationships. It's impossible not to. You can go into watching porn knowing rationally that it's not a real accurate depiction of loving sex between couples or what sex will look like in a relationship. But still you're training yourself subconsciously to desire and to pursue these things in relationships. And we're seeing that happen across the world. You know, this is, as Gary Wilson says, sort of a grand global experiment that we're running on our youth, what happens when people grow up on an unlimited supply of sexual content. And we're seeing that, you know, incidences of extreme, what we would call extreme sexual acts uh, are becoming much more common when people are just starting to have sex, you know? girls, teenage girls who say the first time they're having sex, their boyfriend is choking them or slapping them across the face because that's what they've seen in porn. That's what they think is normal. That's what they think sex looks like. And I personally don't have any problem with if two consenting adults want to explore S&M or, or whatever. That's perfectly fine with me. 
But when it becomes our baseline, uh, I think it causes a real problem. And it did for me because I wasn't able to connect, um, not just because of the sexual dysfunction, but because of the way that I had trained myself to objectify women and not really see them for the whole people that they were, but more see them for the sexual pleasure that they could bring me. And that is just something that I didn't realize had happened until I quit porn and sort of my head rose out of the fog and I could see that effect in retrospect. Uh, some of the other effects that it had on me personally and that it has on many, many others, many of my clients that I work with are that it robbed me of a lot of my ambition and my motivation and just the pleasure and the joy that I took out of life because as I was desensitizing myself, it wasn't just a sexual desensitization. That part of our brain that processes stimuli that makes us desire, you know, it, it doesn't just govern sexual desire. It governs many aspects of our lives and our social and professional and personal lives. And so I just found myself sort of lazy, you know, if, if the options were, oh, I could work on this project or I could, you know, try to go for that promotion at work or think about my future or, you know, I could use porn and that would feel a lot better. I'd often choose porn or, or something else that was stimulating and immediately pleasurable rather than an investment in my long-term potential for the future. And I was also just numb emotionally. Like looking back now, I can see that from the age of about 10, when I was starting to watch porn to my early 20s, I didn't cry a single time. <laughs> and at the time, I thought that was a good thing, right? Because I was a man, you know, stoic, I'm strong, right. I'm stoic, right? So I thought that was a good thing. But as I was healing and recovering, I regained a lot of my emotional vibrancy and I could feel things just more fully again. And I regained my ability to cry. And that's that's great. I've cherished that now. And I also regained my ability to really love because I mentioned that first long-term relationship. We thought we were in love with each other. But I don't think I was really capable of the depth of that feeling uh, because of my porn use. And since, you know, I've, I've discovered what that can actually feel like. And uh, I feel very sad for people who are missing out on all these joys of life because they've been caught in this trap of pursuing that immediate stimulation, right. that immediate pleasure for so long. Right. And and so, I mean, even for guys like I, I've personally I've never got to that kind of place, that extreme of like dysfunction or whatever, but I've certainly watched it kind of weighted more towards the earlier part of my life. Um, you know, kind of like, because so the internet kind of became around when I was like 13. Like that's when people started going online. So I wasn't still till like 17, 18 is when like, I was like regularly looking, you know, mm -hmm. regularly using the internet. And then of course, porn happened right in college, right? So like it was more front weighted there, like for me, but this even kind of looking back, especially after kind of preparing for this podcast and just going down this rabbit hole, I'm like, wow, this is affecting me more than I realized. Even just once a month or even once every, I don't know, even once every few months. And I guess, you know, there's a, have you seen the South Park episode where the internet breaks down? Have you seen oh, this yeah, one? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. basically, Randy, so for people listening, there's, it's, I think it's, it's funny because it's satirical and it's true. So like the internet breaks down in South Park and then he's, uh, and he like bugs out because he can't watch porn. And like all of a sudden he starts like searching some really weird shit like online. It's funny. But like the idea is like, unlike, and I think in the Gary Wilson presentation. Yeah, when, like, when he finally gets access to the computer <laughs> in California where there's still a little vestige of yes. internet left, he searches for Brazilian puke porn or something like that. <laughs> something absurd. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know, so anyways, it's like, you know, Gary Wilson, I think in his, in his presentation, he's like, listen, like cocaine or, or like alcohol, it's like, you just want more of the same thing where with like porn, it's like, it's always about new things and new things and new things and new things. And it's just like constant, like, wait, I, I started out here and I'm all the way over here. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and let's also talk about like the tangible effects on relationships. Cause in your book and just again, from reading different uh, stories out there. I mean, this is, uh, you know, a real societal thing, right? It's almost like I, I see things differently now. Like for example, the divorce rate is 50%, but of those 50%, what is it like 60% uh, say that, or, you know, again, there are different statistics, but 60% of people say that porn may have been a factor. So can you talk a little bit more about the societal impacts 
of of porn and, and and how it's affecting people. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, I don't have any reliable numbers right. of like what percentage of divorces could have something to do with pornography use, but I see it in my clients all the time, and I see it in you know my friends' relationships as well. Uh, when I when I first started this journey and actually started talking to people about mm -hmm. pornography and our use of it and how it affects us. I inspired some of my friends who never got to the point that I was, right? They didn't have severe sexual dysfunction, but I inspired some of them to give it a break for a while and see how it affected them. And pretty much universally, they said that you know, they were much more passionate and invested in their relationships, not just sexually, but emotionally as well. And so I think that we see a lot of, a lot of that in people who don't yet reach the sexual dysfunction um, aspect, you know, they can still have sex. They they don't see any severe impact on their lives or their relationships. In that moment, they might still be very far from their full potential that they could be feeling in that relationship because of pornography use. And so, I'll just say right here, anyone who's who might be curious to see if pornography has had an effect on them, well, you're not going to lose anything by going one, two, three months without and and doing a little experiment for yourself and seeing how that might work. Now for for women, and I'm, I'm going to be saying women here because most of the partners that I speak to, partners of problematic porn users are women, but it can be reversed as well. You know, there are plenty right. of women out there who are addicted to porn, who have porn-induced sexual dysfunctions, um, and whose partners don't like it, you know. But most of them that I work with and that I speak with are, are women, and pretty much universally they're hurt by their partner's porn use, especially if it's led to the lack of a sexual connection in their relationship, because it's you can't match up to an unlimited amount of sexual novelty that internet porn provides. There's no way that a single person can compete with that, right? It's an unfair playing field that's comparing apples and oranges. And a lot of my clients are married to their 10 out of 10 woman. You know, there, there wouldn't be anyone else in the world that they'd be more attracted to or would want to be with, but they still can't have sex with her because they're addicted to porn and uh, they're conditioned so much to that screen. And so it can be very hurtful for, for those women who think it, it might be partly their fault, you know, that they're not attractive enough or that they're not like a woman enough to keep their husband or to keep their husband's attention and to keep their husband's desire. And especially if it's a boundary that has been established, like they've they said that, you know, I don't like it when you use porn or I don't want porn to be part of our relationship and the man has continued to do that and perhaps hide it, that can cause a lot of betrayal trauma when it comes to light. you know. And a lot of people think of cheating as a physical affair or at the very least you know, an emotional affair with someone else outside the relationship. But the definition of cheating that I use and that a lot of counselors and therapists use is any behavior that you're hiding from your significant other because you know it would hurt them or they would disapprove of it. You know, most often this is romantic or sexual behavior, but it can also be things like gambling away your mutual savings or behavior like that that you know definitely would hurt her and is hurting her, mm -hmm. even though she might not yet be aware of it. So a lot of us are conditioned to think that porn use is no big deal. Everyone uses porn. Right, uses that's porn. the thing. <laughs> but just because it's normal doesn't mean it's healthy. And it is very harmful for a lot of relationships and a lot of partners who, who feel like they can't reach their partner, you know, because there's this, there's this wall in between them. So it sounds like a potential, well, actually a couple things. One is that, and again, this is something that uh, it's almost like in the matrix, you know, you got the red pill and the blue pill and he takes the red pill and like you see the world differently. It's like, it's almost like I see the world differently now after really, kind of diving deeper into all of this. And it's like, I wonder how many relationships are like seriously affected by porn use, right? Because most guys are like, again, a good chunk of guys are watching it. And um, I guess that's one thing. The second thing is, you know, so how do you know, or how can someone become aware that there's, this is an issue and it might be affecting them, even if they might not really understand until they're off it for three months? Uh, so what are some signs to look Yeah, for? exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, definitely sexual dysfunction, you know, if, if it's not explainable by some medical or physical abnormality, if you're a relatively young guy, and especially if you can still get a strong erection to porn, but not with your partner, then that's a huge red flag. Okay. Now, I will say that there are guys who get to 
a point of porn-induced ED that's severe enough where they even struggle to maintain an erection with porn anymore. Uh, so okay. if, if you still do that, it doesn't necessarily mean that there's something physically wrong. It could still be porn-induced ED, which is reversible. Uh, other signs to look for are, yeah, if you've escalated in the content that you're seeking out, uh, especially the things that are disturbing to you or that are legal, illegal or borderline legal or that are just not the kind of sex that your partner wants or that you know most partners would want, then that's definitely a red flag. Uh, other signs to look for, you know, it's, it can be really difficult to see a lot of these until you're clear from porn for a while because a lot of them can be mistaken for other things like anxiety or depression or just, you know, lack of motivation. Maybe you think you're getting older or you just think you're sort of have a low level bit of depression. Uh, but, and I'm not going to say that quitting porn is a magic pill that will make all these go away, but I have seen that oftentimes uh, throughout the process of recovery, people can see benefit in many of these mental health aspects. And I will warn that sometimes it gets worse before it gets better. You know, recovery is not a, a linear process. Right. And there are withdrawal symptoms that many people experience as they leave behind, behind porn. And people might wonder, well, how can that be possible? It's just, it's like just an image on a screen. It's just flashing lights. Uh, but it's because it is actually stimulating the release of neurochemicals in our brain. So it is sort of a chemical dependency. It's just endogenous chemicals, chemicals that already exist within our bodies rather than exogenous ones. Uh, that we would put into our bodies like alcohol, nicotine. And pornography, especially internet porn, is what we would call a super stimulus, you know, which is something that is more stimulating than, than what is found in the natural world. And so I can go on, on a porn site right now and I can see a thousand different very attractive mates doing whatever I would want them to do, which would be impossible for like my grandfather to see when he was <laughs> Right. And I know rationally it's all just flashing lights on a computer screen, but the part of my brain that has evolved or was created, you know, depending on your beliefs, to interpret stimuli and like process that and give me feelings, you know, like desire, doesn't know that. So I'm super stimulating that part of my brain, and that can cause over years of consistent use uh, real changes in the brain and real imbalance, and like neurologically and emotionally. Okay, and so. You know, one of the things I want to talk about masturbation as well, but I'll talk about that a little bit, a yeah. little bit in a second, because I know this is obviously integrally kind of related. But um, so you talked about the signs, and I really appreciate that—the kind of red flags where it's like, okay, I didn't think this is an issue, but it might be an issue, right? Um, and so, how does someone, quote unquote, quit porn? Like, what do you, what are your general suggestions? Uh, well, first step I'd say is educate yourself as much as possible. Mm -hmm. You know. You can go to my website or there's many other resources out there now uh, for education about this. And that knowledge is going to be power. And you can learn a lot from other people's experiences too who have gone through this before you. And you can you know, get a lot of knowledge about what to expect in the process of recovery that if you didn't have, you would fall prey to many of the common pitfalls that there might exist. Uh, so education, number one. Uh, how do you quit porn? Well, that's what I, I spend a lot of right. my time teaching people, so <laughs> right, I'm struggling to come up with a quick answer, but right. I can say that one thing I want to make clear is that porn, for those who are problematic porn users, isn't just porn as society would label it. You know, It's anything that you would use for the same purpose of erotic stimulation artificially from a screen or from an audio source or from a book. So a lot of people who quit porn make the mistake of not watching porn anymore, but now they're like going to Instagram and looking at models or they're maybe reading stories or they're just, they're searching for that fix anywhere they can get it. And for a problematic user, you should be thinking of all those things as porn as well. You know, anything other than a real partner, um, the kind of sex that you want to have or potentially, uh, masturbation to realistic fantasy because I'm, I'm not anti-masturbation and for most of the people I work with, pornography is the problem and not necessarily masturbation itself, though the two are very much linked for them. Okay. And you actually, that was the next question, you talked about kind of Instagram and you know, my own perspective is I'm in the fitness 
in- industry and it's like it becomes softcore porn like very quickly <laughs> yeah like all of a sudden it's like you click on one thing you click on the next thing it's like all of a sudden they're just like hot yoga chicks everywhere and it's like wait what is going on here and so personally i got rid of it off my phone i'm like i told my brother i'm like i'm getting i'm this is done i gotta get rid of it um it sounds kind of that might sound extreme to some people that it's like oh this is this mainstream like hey everyone has this but personally i just i don't even have it on my phone um yeah can you talk more about like as you said, porn is not just these hardcore porn sites. It's stimuli that can really almost create an overreactive type of situation. Like any, anything else on that? Well, a lot of people who are porn addicts, especially those who grew up on it, may have the same compulsive tendencies with technology and other factors. Like maybe, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, they use porn, but after they use porn, they play video games for six hours and then they use porn again. Or, you know, they're constantly checking their phones and their social media and they're, they're unable to maintain focus right. on their life or really just enjoy right. their day because their, their pocket's always buzzing and they're hooked on those little... We're only talking dope. tens of millions of people here, but continue. <laughs> yeah. I mean, most of these apps are designed to be as addictive right. as possible right. and to keep, us, keep our attention so that they can sell us, you know, advertising products. Um, you know, like... I think in the social network, no, not whatever that documentary was that came out recently, I think on Netflix about, um, about these social platforms. If you're not paying for the platform, then you are the product. Like your attention is what's being sold to advertisers. And so they're designed to keep our attention as much as possible. And many of the people I work with, uh, it's not, maybe not necessary to get off of social media altogether or to stop playing video games altogether. But they do need to be mindful about how they're using these things and set some healthy boundaries for themselves. So maybe, you know, delete it off your phone. But, yeah, I'll check my messages and my notifications, you know, from 7 to 7.30 each night on my computer. But I'm not going to have it in my pocket buzzing all day, distracting me from living my life. Right. That makes perfect sense. And I'm in the the same boat, man. I'm in the same boat. So, um Another kind of topic I want to talk about before diving into kind of masturbation and, and porn and kind of some other stuff. But, you know, one thing that's really surprising to me when I like I never had to deal with this when I was nine. You know, I didn't have, I wasn't looking for like boot like you can imagine how many guys are searching for boobs on Google. Right. Like, yeah. I mean, they're like nine, eight, nine years old and they see crazy stuff. And like these kids, I can't imagine what how a, a young boy's brain would be affected by like seeing this stuff so early and obviously you experience it like it, it can have significant impacts on your whole physiology and so i guess my question is is when like when should parents talk to their kids about porn and how do they do it great question and yeah this is something that is one of the most important reasons i do what i do because you know when i was a kid we were educated in schools about the dangers of cigarette smoking and drinking and how that could have an effect on your body. And yeah, I've smoked like three cigarettes in my life to try it, but I, I was aware of the dangers and I, I didn't like it. But even if I did, I think I would have not really gotten into it because I knew it was going to be harmful for my body. And same with drinking. Like I'm a social drinker. It's not really a problem for me at all. Uh, but you know, if I had not been educated at all, I probably would have drank a lot more and maybe faced addiction with that or some something else. And if I had been educated that my pornography use could cause sexual dysfunction, could steal from me my opportunity to really connect and really get what I wanted, which was real relationships, real sex, real intimacy, or that it could, you know, warp my sexuality and cause me to escalate to all these things I, I really wasn't interested in at the time and was repulsed by at the time, then I might not have stayed away completely but I would have been much more mindful about my use and probably never gotten to the, the point that I was. So I think education is very important, both in schools, but also at home. And there's really, it, it, the answer is probably earlier than you think. You know, uh, four, five years old, you can start these conversations and you're not gonna have it on the level that we're having it right now, but you can start those conversations. And there are resources out there to help. Uh, there's a book called Good Pictures, Bad Pictures, and there's a book called Good Pictures, Bad Pictures Junior for even younger people. And you can this is a book you can read together, and it can help get this conversation started. And it just, on a very simple level, explains like, yeah, there are 
good pictures, like pictures of the family and pictures of cute puppies. And then there are, there are pictures out there that can be potentially harmful for you and that can cause you distress and it encourages them to, if they see any of these pictures, come talk to us. You know, we can talk it out. We can, uh, it doesn't have to be something you have to keep secret and talks a little bit about the brain and how it can change and grow over time and how when exposed to certain harmful substances or harmful uh, media that it can grow in a way that you don't want it to or that it can change in a way that you don't want it to. So you can start these conversations very early and there are resources out there. Uh, the same organization, uh, Protect Young Minds, has a new course called Brain Defense, which is like a full course that you can take young people through to learn all about not just how pornography can affect the brain but how other things can affect the brain as well because you know our understanding of the brain is still rudimentary but it's so much greater than it was 30 or 40 years ago and we know now that the brain is like even more miraculous than we thought before that it can continue to change and grow throughout our lives and that it depends on what we do uh, and it's like if you juggle for instance if you pick up juggling we'll see actual growth and changes in the brain uh, and this area is responsible for visual acuity and uh, uh, physical you know, motion. And we can see some of the same changes or similar changes in the brains of addicts you know, across addictions. There are four addiction-related brain changes that we talk about uh, that are seen in cocaine addicts, alcoholics, and yes, porn addicts as well. And one of those, and I'll just briefly go over them because I think they're really interesting, uh, is sensitization which means you get more sensitive to the cues that lead to that pleasure of use, right? So for a cocaine addict, you know, seeing a line of cocaine would like cause their heart to start beating faster. It would trigger them to like want to use. Uh, an alcoholic walking into a bar or the smell of liquor. And for a, a porn addict being at home alone with their computer, you know, a lot of a lot of guys, myself included, probably have the experience that before you like as you're typing in the search term before you even see anything, you're already aroused. You know, you're already um, caught in that flow. I mean, you could use your. I mean, the phone is. I would imagine it's even used more than desktop now. Way more. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I use the computer, so I use that example. Right, but yeah, right. a lot of my clients, right. they've got a porn machine in their pocket at all times. Right. <laughs> right exactly. And, yeah, and uh, so the second change is desensitization you know which seems like well that's weird it's the opposite but that's the desensitization we were talking about becoming numb desensitized so their desire for porn is getting stronger but the pleasure that they get from it is getting weaker so they want it more and more and more over the years but they like it less and less and less and then hypofrontality is a really interesting one and that's where there's becomes a weakened connection between the prefrontal cortex, the part of our brain most responsible for planning and for seeing consequences and making rational decisions, and that part of our brain that feels desire, you know, uh, the reward center of the brain. And so that basically means that addicts or people who have started to go down that path are less able to apply the brakes and to listen to that inner voice of, of reason, you know, when they really want something. And Looking at an addict from the outside, it's easy to say, like, why don't you just stop? You know, you can see how harmful this is for you. Why can't you just control yourself? And hypofrontality is one of the reasons why they cannot. Um, they might want to stop. They might, you know, be screaming inside their heads, no, I don't want to do this again. But they're unable to apply the brakes. And that is a change, like these others, that can be reversed, you know, as we, as we recover, as we abstain. But there's also things that we can do that directly um, can address that weakness uh, like mindfulness meditation is one way that we can strengthen our ability to make decisions in line with our values and the last um, addiction related brain change is just a dysfunctional stress response which means that you know for a healthy person stress is an indicator that you know something needs their attention you know, maybe a deadline's coming up they're stressed out or you know, they're in danger, they're in physical danger, there's a lion, you know, they're stressed, but that stress serves a purpose, so they can run away, or they can fight, or they can protect themselves. Uh, but for an addict, stress becomes another cue to use. And instead of using that stress to respond to the source of the stressor, they start to want to escape from that stress, or that depression, or that loneliness, or whatever it is, by using. So all roads now lead to porn. Got it. And so just as like a, a quick recap, I mean, you've got 
you know, talk to kids when they're younger than you'd probably think to talk to them because they're going right. to find it. They're going to find it like potentially yeah, exactly. way earlier than you than you probably think. Right. That's number one. Number two is it's like ideally it would be within schools and be part of education again early on, like not in, when they're 12 years old in like junior high, like. Well, continuing. <laughs> right. Know, exactly. Early on, but also continuing that right. conversation throughout the years. Right, so. right, right. OK, cool. So that's the idea um, is, is just to really and I, I totally appreciate your kind of desire to. One of the one of the motivations for you doing this is to help these young kids who are going to kind of go down this this whole rabbit hole and, and really help educate parents to kind of be cognizant of this. Um, yeah. So I, I appreciate that. And so um, let's let's talk a little bit. So this is just interesting. So I mean, I just me personally, it's like, I'm a coach like yourself. And it's like, I am kind of hyper aware of my habits and like cue routine reward, right? It's like, I, it's like, I can, it's like, I know it happens. Like if it happens once that can be enough. I'm like, okay, I'm done. Right. It can literally just happen once, maybe twice and be through. It's like, I'm done. But a lot of other people are not quite as hyper aware of, of these kind of going down that, uh, to the reward. They're not as, as, um, aware of it. So, but at the same time, I want to say like, this is, you know, porn has definitely affected my life, especially kind of looking back more than I probably even understood or realized. And it definitely has affected kind of relationships or relationships that didn't even happen. Um, and so let's, let's go on to, um, is, is, so is masturbation. I'm like, think about this. Like I've, so I imagine, uh, guys have, listen, guys have, uh, searched in this or th- uh, thought about this, like is masturbation healthy or not? Right. And I guess I'm bringing this up because it's like <laughs> over the years I've done the quote unquote, no fap thing before I knew it was a thing. Cause I'm just yeah. like intuitively, I'm like, dude, like whacking off. This is just not helping my life. You know what I'm saying? Right. I'm like this just isn't helping me. But then I talked to my friends about it and they're like, well, how could you not like, how are you going to survive? <laughs> right. It's like, how can you do it for a week? It's like, how do you go to sleep? Right. That's uh-huh. one of the kind of pushbacks. Like, well, how do you, how do you sleep? Like, like you got to clean the pipes, right? And if you're not in a relationship and anyways, I'm just getting at like, it's, it seems like when you look online, it's overall like a very healthy thing to do. Right. And, and I want to actually go through, well, actually, let me ask you a question. What do you think is, is masturbation healthy? That's a great question. And I laughed a little bit earlier because I, a year ago, put out a video and an article of exactly that title is masturbation healthy or not. (laughs) Okay. Because I think it's a really good question, especially for people with problematic porn use because a lot of the guys I work with maybe have never masturbated without porn. So they're kind of one and the same to them. Okay. But, but they shouldn't be. And I encourage people to consider them as separate topics. You know, Should I use porn? That's one question. Should I masturbate? And if so, how or how often? That's a different question. Right, right. And uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of bias in articles that are about whether or not masturbation is healthy or not. Uh, when researching that video I told you about, I would see benefits like, oh, like it's, it's good for you because it increases your heart rate and it's, it's exercise. Well, like you might as well just go out for a walk around the block. That would right. accomplish the same thing. Um, and about you know cleaning the pipes, uh, there's really not enough evidence to support that sort of rationale. And the same thing with, you know, some people have said, well, like if you don't masturbate or you don't have frequent release, then you'll be at higher risk for prostate cancer. But there's really, there's conflicting data about that as well. There's nothing conclusive. And um, what we have seen is that, like according to studies such as one that's called the relative health benefits of different sexual activities, that intercourse, you know, penile vaginal intercourse is actually associated with a whole host of positive benefits such as longer life expectancy, uh, lower incidence of depression, lower stress levels, better blood pressure values, improved testosterone levels, Mm -hmm. and more. And most other forms of sexual uh, conduct generally have neutral values in these, while frequent masturbation actually tends to be negatively correlated with these things. So that's what the research has shown, at least that research, is that frequent masturbation doesn't tend to benefit us. It actually tends to uh, be correlated, at least, with these lower values on these important measures. And yet, I don't think that that means masturbation is bad or masturbation is unhealthy. I think a lot of it has to do with 
how you're doing it and how often you're doing it for what reasons you're doing it. Um, I think, you know, for some people, I even encourage them to consider it because there can be benefits. Uh, for those who are porn addicts, for some of them, it can be easier to abstain from porn, at least in the beginning, if they continue to allow themselves porn-free masturbation because, you know, that now they have a sexual release and they can build a foundation of being porn-free. And if they're curious about being completely abstinent or abstaining from masturbation, maybe they can then tackle that as a next step, right. you know, once they have a few right. months porn-free. Uh, for others, like I said, those who have never masturbated without porn or haven't done it in years, it can be sort of a stepping stone to get back to your own internal fantasies and desires. You know, and it's important then not to just be remembering images from porn or porn-inspired scenes that you're masturbating to, but to actually like imagine the kind of intimacy and sex that you want. It can be a stepping stone away from maybe those extreme porn-induced desires and towards a more healthy sexual life for yourself. Uh, other people, of course, find that masturbating at all just triggers them to want more and more, and it can become a slippery slope back to porn. So it really depends on the individual, and it depends also on where they're at in recovery. Uh, one thing I caution people about is not to be using masturbation as an emotional crutch or you know, an, a form of escapism. It's one thing if like, oh, I've had a great week, I've had a great day, oh, I've got an hour free, I'm, I'm kind of feeling frisky, um, maybe I'll fantasize and masturbate. And then you, know, you go to sleep, you move on with your life. But it's another thing if like, oh man, I, I'm so stressed out, I, this paper's due tomorrow, I don't want to think about this, I'm, I'm just going to masturbate. And that can become a compulsive uh, pattern in your life and can lead to more frequent, more dysfunctional use than most people want. Right. And so I think we're like, we're talking about in the context of like, okay, like someone who's kind of watching porn, right. Can kind of take that next step and just not watch the porn. It's basically PMO and MO, which are like, which are acronyms I came across, you yeah. know, kind of doing, you know, kind of researching this stuff. And so it's like, you got porn masturbation orgasm, right. And then just masturbation orgasm. And it's kind of almost like a stepping stone. It's like, okay, let's get away from PMO to just MO. And then you can potentially get to the next level. And so, uh, in terms of just kind of stopping masturbation cold turkey, what are your thoughts on that? Because, you know, just again, just, you know, in terms of, as I was saying, just in terms of researching over the years, it's like most of what's online, it's like it's healthy. You should be doing it at least a few times a week. And by the way, just to read one, one example, and this is what happens when you search online, right? Masturbating frequently could significantly reduce a man's risk of prostate cancer. According to recent research from Harvard University, men who have 21 or more orgasms per month could cut their odds by 33%. There's just a lot of, you know, here's one other thing. I'm, yeah, but again, in that study, right. they're measuring orgasms per month, but they don't isolate masturbation right. at all. And it's very possible that an, or, like an orgasm to masturbation and an orgasm to intercourse are not created equal. There's a whole right. different, oh, completely different. Uh, neurochemical <laughs> imprint right. and also just qualitative feeling to right. it, you know. A lot of people, I'm not saying everybody or that they should, but a lot of people kind of feel a little empty or sad after masturbating because there's no actual connection, right? You kind of feel right. like, oh, I've just kind of wasted my time and energy. But after a great intimate experience with somebody, you know, that's like a memory that you can cherish and, and you like feel connected to somebody and there's neurochemically, there's a much higher release of oxytocin after you know, orgasm mm -hmm. with a partner than there is through masturbation. Uh, so yeah, uh, that's... Like I said, the data on the prostate cancer bit. Right. So, so how about this? Like, and and do so. What are the benefits of stopping masturbation cold turkey? Right. The no fap movement, which has become huge. Right. And again, I, I said like I've done no fap over the years. Like, and I didn't know it was like a thing, but then it became a thing, and now there are a hundred thousand. You know, I think followers on the Reddit. Uh, no I fap thing. More so, like a million. Oh now. my god, they're a million now. Oh my god. Anyways, yeah, they're, they're, it's a huge percentage of, of of people. So I guess my question to you is like, uh, you know, people in, in this uh, kind of no That's... fap, right? No masturbation. So I guess my question to you is like, what are the benefits of potentially just not having any masturbation at all? Uh, well, a couple of things about no fap. Right. One, it's uh, seven hundred and seventy-eight thousand members. Okay, there, which subreddit. is unbelievable. And uh, two, NoFap as an organization is not like anti-masturbation. They're actually, okay. uh, maybe I should read it from their, from their website, but it's much more about drawing awareness to the problematic pornography usage. Okay. Okay. Um, NoFap is a community-centered sexual health platform designed to help you overcome porn addiction, 
porn overuse oh, or compulsive sexual behavior. We're here to help you quit or reduce porn use, improve your relationships, and reach your sexual health goals. We're science-based, secular, and sex positive. Interesting. So I, I guess I nothing thought actually there about abstaining from masturbation, but a lot of people. Yeah, I just I, I just associate because it's almost like you know they say no fat for thirty days. It's like oh no porn, masturbation, orgasm. I guess I link the two it, together. So yeah, it's a bit ambiguous, and yeah. a lot of people do treat it that way, and a lot of okay. people like legitimately just want to experiment with that of being not only porn free but masturbation free as well. And there are many people who report benefits to that. Uh, they might, you know, superpowers is one term that is thrown around <laughs> right. on these on these community forums of people who feel like, oh, like I, I need less sleep, I have more energy throughout the day, I'm feeling like much more confident and like socially capable, and my workouts are better, and I'm just getting getting all these benefits, and it's not necessarily that they're like superhuman, but perhaps their frequent masturbation was actually limiting them and what they viewed as normal was actually the subdued version of themselves. So yeah, there can be a lot of benefits that you know people are anecdotally reporting to abstaining from masturbation. And for thousands of years, uh, people have been experimenting with sexual abstinence and semen retention, things like this, and, and how it can affect their lives. Uh, I know people who you know, grew up Christian and didn't masturbate a single time in their entire lives, you know, and they lived full, healthy, happy lives and, you know, got married in mid twenties or whatever and had sex for the first time and now enjoy a healthy sex life. Uh, masturbation, orgasm, they're not needs. You don't need to clean the pipes. People kind of start to feel like they need it because they're relying on it. But it's sort of like, I don't drink coffee. So people are like, I can't get up in the morning without my coffee. It doesn't make sense to me because I never really started drinking it, so I don't have that need. Right. You, you create that need when you introduce the habit. And same thing with you know smoking. I can't get through my workday if I don't have my smoke breaks. Well, I don't smoke, so I don't feel that need. You know, And it can be the same with masturbation and, and orgasm if you're, if you're not doing it. And it can take a while for your body to become accustomed to reduced frequency of orgasm, right? Uh, but if you're, once you get used to that, it just sort of feels natural. And... Uh, you know, one thing that people can experience in, in the beginnings, if they're abstaining from masturbation altogether, they might experience like the feeling of, of blue balls, quote unquote, uh, like some mild pain or some, some swelling. Or the flat line, I think you've talked about, right? Yeah. People can also experience what's called a flat line, which, yeah, we can talk about. Um, anyone who's changing their masturbation habits, I think, is at risk of a flat line. And a flat line is simply a period of time characterized by a complete lack of sexual desire or libido. And it can also come along with other symptoms like lower energy or mood swings, depression, anxiety, uh, and even like genitals that feel physically numb or shrunken. And it can be scary to feel like your sexuality is just gone. Uh, but what we've seen with these flat lines is that they're temporary. Uh, they generally last from two weeks to two months. They can last much longer in less common cases. But the way, and we still, you know, don't know a lot about flatline from a scientific perspective. But the what I have seen has shown me that it's sort of the body's way of recognizing, okay, after years of, you know, having unlimited access to all these hot mates, you know, right. which our body and our primitive, primitive brain interprets porn as, we finally have a break. So let's shut off, shut down the sexual system, and let's do some repairs and some healing. And most of the time with people who with porn-induced sexual dysfunctions, if they do go into a flat line and allow it to run its course and, and end at its own time, they start to see a lot of the benefits after that flat line ends. Right. And so just, uh, just to kind of, I guess, wrap this up and also, um, you know, point to, I think the recommendation in your book, it's like, you know, for guys who are, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, for guys who are kind of like watching porn regularly, Potentially, you know, you can just do the MO, right? But also, if I'm not mistaken, and you actually didn't do anything. You you cut off any masturbation at all for like right. 90 days yeah. plus, and it seemed like, um, like I guess, what's your stance now? Like, what's your opinion on kind of the? I don't want to call it anti-masturbation, but basically, master yes or no with with regard to that kind of question. Like, what are, what are your thoughts? It really just depends. It depends on the, on the person, right? If if someone is has a sexual dysfunction, porn-induced, and they're trying to recover from it as quickly as possible, especially if they have a partner, then yeah, I do recommend abstaining from masturbation as well. 
at least until they're at that point where sexual dysfunction is gone, they're consistently having great sex, mm -hmm. then they can reconsider, okay, is, is masturbation something that I want or, uh, or am I good without it? And okay. so for those people, yeah, I usually recommend abstaining entirely because it allows your body the rest that it needs. And this is what we call the reboot, is that period right. of time. Abstaining from porn, usually abstaining from masturbation as well, allowing your body that time to heal and sort of resensitize. And then the next phase is what we call the rewire, and there can be an overlap between these two, where you're now practicing intimacy. You know, you're, you're dating, you're kissing, you're cuddling, you're perhaps trying sex, and you're reconditioning yourself to respond to these scenarios, you know, the touch of a partner, uh, being in bed with mm -hmm. another person, rather than the conditioning you've been reinforcing for years, which is, I get aroused when I'm alone with my phone. Cool. All right. Well, um, I really appreciate your time, though. We're going to wrap up. I mean, is there anything that I didn't ask that you kind of want to mention or that I should have asked? Uh, well, you, I did mention this briefly, but usually the answer I give to that question is that it's de definitely not just a men's problem. There are a right. lot of women out there with right. similar issues, and it can be even harder on them because uh, there's now – quite a bit of support out there for guys who are going through this, but a lot less support for the women who are. So if you're out there and that describes you, I just want to encourage you that you're definitely not alone and healing is totally possible for you as well. Cool. Well, uh, well, Noah, man, I really appreciate you, uh, you coming on here and, um, and I appreciate all, all that you're doing and, and raising awareness of something that is a really big epidemic, really, in terms of its societal implications. And so where can people learn more about you? Addicted to Internet porn dot com is my okay. website. And I'm on YouTube. Noah B.E. Church is where I put a lot of my content. Awesome. Well, uh, well, again, man, I, I really appreciate um, you know, everything you've done and to kind of raise awareness. I hope that this podcast is going to help a little bit, uh, raise a little bit more awareness. And, uh, and, and that's my hope. Right. But again, I really appreciate what you've done, man. I think it's awesome. I really, you know, appreciated, um, you know, reading your book and I, I wish you the best, man. Well, thanks for hosting Mark. Thanks for doing this. All right. Been a pleasure. I'll catch you later. Bye-bye.